My Eagle enthusiasts, it's Fairway Rolling, presented by FanDuel. Major season is here, and you can get in on all the long drives, big putts, and major moments with FanDuel. Check out live PGA Tour bets like longest drive, round leaders, matchups, birdie or better, and more. Plus, track every shot in the app and watch select par three holes while you place your bets. Download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official betting operator of the PGA Tour. Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. You must be 21 years old or older and present in select states. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Birdie Buddies, today's episode of Fairway Roll and presented as always by our good friends at Callaway Golf. Callaway Golf, home of the brand new U.S. Open Women's Champion, Jung-Yoon Lee Six. She is a Callaway staffer in her bag, the epic flash driver that she used to hit over 85% of fairways for the week Callaway was. The number one driver brand at the U.S. Women's Open, led by Epic Flash with 38 Epic Flash models in play at that major. Epic Flash has the most wins of any driver model in 2019. Check it out at CallawayGolf.com. Friends, today's episode of Fairway Rolling also brought to you by Destination Kohler. In Kohler, Wisconsin, home of Whistling Straits and Black Wolf Run. Kohler has four of the top 100 public courses in the United States. And coming up in 2020, Whistling Straits shall be the host of the 2020 Ryder Cup. Imagine summer on Lake Michigan, birdie buddies, in the land of beer and cheese. Rounds of championship golf and ice-cold beverages, deep-fried Wisconsin cheese curds. It's time to get rolling to DestinationKohler.com to book your package today. That's DestinationKohler.com. Hello, friends, and welcome to this golf podcast unlike any other. Oh yeah, we have done it. My friends, we are back. The U.S. Open is upon us and we are rolling. This is Fairway Rolling, the golf podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by our friends at Callaway Golf. 
This week's episode, a very special guest, a man with not only extensive experience at Pebble Beach as we start getting our heads around what this upcoming U.S. Open may be all about, but a brand new golf podcast, Real Golf Talk with Johnny Miller. Chris Harrison is on the line with us today talking about his podcast experience with Johnny Miller, as well as what we might expect to see out at Pebble Beach in about 10 days. Harrison played Pebble a week ago, and so we're comparing some notes. He also plays in the PGA, the uh, AT&T Pro-Am event at Pebble, so we're comparing some notes, getting his take on what we might see out of Pebble. Of course, Megan Schuster is on. Schusty and I break down what's happening in Golf Social. Uh, obviously there's going to be some Phil Mickelson talk involved there. And then last but not least, Verno is on. We have some early thoughts on the U S open. We have some thoughts on what just happened at the Memorial, uh, with Patrick Cantlay's victory. And we're going to go ahead and make a pick on the, at the RBC Canadian open this coming week, very illustrious field, Rory, DJ and Brooks. Anytime you put those three guys on on a field, you, some things are going to happen. But speaking of a field, the first tee appears to be open. Let's go let out a little shaft, shall we? And now on the tee from Dallas, Texas, the host of The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, The Bachelor Pad, Bachelor in Paradise, Bachelor in Paradise after Paradise, Bachelor Live, and who wants to be a billionaire, Chris Harrison. Among his many, many credentials, accolades, and forms of employment, his, he's added one. His most recent adventure, he is the host of the brand spanking new podcast, Real Golf Talk with Johnny Miller. Per- perhaps, honestly, the most cherished podcast job uh, uh, in, in all of golf. Chris Harrison, welcome to Fairway Rolling. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, yeah, how, how about that? Who, who would have thunk the guy uh, handing out roses would be sitting across from Johnny Miller? <laughs> so uh, how did this come to be? How, how did you get um, the, the, the gig here? You know, it was interesting. Uh, people have talked to me about doing podcasts for a while, and I've kind of turned them down, and just nothing ever really sparked my interest. And um, I have some friends at Callaway, mutual friends, and, and they just randomly called me one day and said, look, I know you've said no to doing podcasts, but what would you say to sitting down with Johnny Miller? And I said, well, that's intriguing. Um, Clearly, everybody wants to know what Johnny has to say. And if he's game, I would love to do that. And so, uh, you know, and that is the case. Johnny still has a lot to say about the world of golf and the world at large. And they thought, hey, let's put someone across from him that'll uh, be kind of the everyday fan and the guy at the country club that wants to ask Johnny Miller questions. And so that's essentially what I'm doing. Had you met Johnny before the first time you guys sat down to record? The first time I met him was several weeks ago there at Pebble Beach when we went in to tape the first one. Uh, we wanted to be, you know, obviously sitting across from each other and in person. So I flew up to Pebble uh, where he has one of his houses and, and you know, in walks Johnny. Couldn't have been nicer. Uh, I think it was a little bit like, uh, you know, the first couple of rounds of a prize fight where we, we kind of threw jabs at each other, you know, felt each other out and then kind of settled <laughs> into uh, our routine. And um, I had no, you know, thought to the fact that Johnny wouldn't be anything other than amazing. But when he walked in with 
folders of, of paper and all these stats and pictures and all that. I thought, man, this guy, he doesn't leave anything to chance. He was dialed in, ready to go day one and uh, had his notes and had done his homework and was ready. Yes. Yeah, so, and he, he still cuts kind of a, an imposing figure. I was lucky enough to meet him uh, actually at Pebble Beach last year. I flew out in August for the um, amateur, uh, the U.S. Uh, amateur, and he was walking. And uh, I, I was uh, able, I was I, with Jeff Shackelford, and Johnny came over and said hello. And it was very nice to meet him. But, you know, there was a little bit of an intimidation factor because it's, you know, it's Johnny Effing Miller. You uh, obviously, we're able to hit it off pretty quickly. You talked about his reams of, of paper. What did you do in terms of your research for coming into this, this first show that you guys taped? Well, I mean, I'm a big believer in doing your homework and being over-prepared and, and ready to go. You know, I always, you know, approached, I played soccer my whole life and I always approached any kind of production TV or otherwise, kind of like uh, any athletic event, be prepared, you know, work out, and whatever's thrown at you, then you just got to rely on your instincts and your knowledge and all that. And so I was the same way of, you know, not only doing my Johnny Miller homework, but then of course, you know, getting ready, watching the PGA championship, diving into all the pregame postgame. And, and that was kind of the bulk of our, our talk was, you know, coming off the PGA and what Brooks had just done. Um, and, you know, I, I think he quickly realized I was a big fan, a fan of his, uh, but also a student of the game and, and had my, my stuff together on the broadcast side and he quickly relaxed and fell right into pace and really hadn't missed a beat. And that was the whole idea. These guys from Callaway said, Hey, look, we all still want to know what Johnny Miller has to say when Brooks Kepka bogeys four holes in a row. So let's put him on the air and let's, let's get his opinions. You know, what does he think about John Daly riding in a golf cart and Phil Mickelson and you know, all of this stuff. So it was fun to be, you know, not just a fly on the wall, but that fan that gets to finally ask Johnny Miller what he thinks about all this stuff. And as you said, he's an imposing figure. He's one of the most outspoken guys in the game. But I always respected Johnny, and I think a lot of players did too, because it wasn't just flying off the handle and making snide, smart aleck comments to try and get a rise out of people. Everything he says, he truly believes and typically has the stats and the ideas that back that up. And that's what I was always impressed with. And you know, he's still that guy on this podcast of when he says stuff, it might be inflammatory, but there's a reason behind it. Yeah. And, and, and he walked it through. I, I loved the podcast and, and it was, you know, it's about 52 minutes. The first one. And I said, why can't this be an hour and 52 minutes? Uh, I, I'd love to just, you know, hear more and more and more that the game plan for this um, is, is once a month um, through the balance of the summer. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I think our, our thinking so far, you know, easing Johnny into this, again, I, I could sit down with him every week as you could, but I think the idea is let's wait for the big ones. Um, obviously, the, the uh, U.S. Open is next on the docket up at Pebble Beach, which will be exceptional for so many reasons. It's Johnny's backyard. He lives there. He's going to be there. Um, it's a place that's near and dear to my heart. It's one of the most special places in the world. And I think it's going to be an extraordinary open. So Monday after the open on the 17th, we're going to do our next one. And then probably, obviously, the British Open coming up after that. And then we'll get into the playoff run. And towards the end of the season, we'll do a few more as well. So that, that's how we're starting off. And I think this is going to catch fire. The response has been great. And honestly, he was really selling Johnny on it. I think he needed to hear it and, and see. This is totally new to him. I mean, he's a 
Hall of Fame golfer, and in my opinion, a Hall of Fame broadcaster, but he had never done a podcast before, didn't know much about it. And so I think he settled in and realized, this is kind of fun. I get to say what I want, and uh, no one's <laughs> going to shut me up. So uh, I, I think he's going to dive into this just like he does everything else. Yeah, I mean, put a, a mic in front of him and maybe a, a set of headphones. I'm I'm pretty sure he'll know what to do. Uh, and, and Exactly. It it definitely felt like he he gave the impression of being slightly liberated. Um, you know, he, he was able to just talk and talk and talk, and he didn't. You guys had a really nice rapport right away. That's why I was wondering if you had um, met him before. I want to talk a little bit about your bona fides, your golf bona fides, because you um, just sort of referenced your love for Pebble Beach, and you know, folks listening may not know you have played in the last two uh, AT&T uh, Pebble Beach Pro-Am events, 2018, you were paired with Jason Day. And this year you were paired with... Jose de Jesus Rodriguez. Yeah, Jose de Jesus Rodriguez. <laughs> um, so you, you, you've been playing golf your whole life? Well, I was a college soccer player and then really fell in love with... I mean, I'd always liked the game. But I didn't spend a lot of time doing it growing up. You know, I grew up in, in the 70s and 80s around Dallas, Texas. And so it really was still a country club sport. And we weren't a country club family. And so I played everything else under the sun. But always loved golf and would just was never really that exposed to it until after college. I was a sportscaster. And that's where I started my career and why all of this kind of comes full circle for me. Is I spent the first 10 years of my career covering golf and everything else as a sportscaster in Oklahoma City. And, um, and so it's, it's fun for me to kind of get back into those roots of where I started because it's, it's what I truly love. Not that I don't love the bachelor bachelorette and, you know, who wants to be a millionaire and all the other stuff I do, but, uh, sports is, is really where I cut my teeth in this business. So that I, I, I knew about your sportscaster background and how that had been the stepping stone into the bachelor franchise. Um, I didn't, uh, realize that your your true uh, uh, in, in, in infection with golf started until after college. That is in, in a way that you and I are simpatico here. I wasn't really able to, to latch on to golf until I was in law school because it was much better to go play golf on a Wednesday afternoon right. and sit in the library and, and read up on, on, uh, on cases. Um, but the the uh, there is this is this the first kind of sports thing you've done um, since leaving Oklahoma City? Yeah, I mean, when I first moved from Oklahoma City to LA, I actually started up a horse racing network called TVG that's actually still going. Um, but stayed there for only about two two and a half years into my my run here in Los Angeles and in Hollywood, and that's when The Bachelor took off, and it's been obviously The Bachelor the last seventeen years now. Um, so I haven't had a lot of opportunities to to go back and dabble into sports, which actually probably makes all of it more enjoyable. Um, I've gotten involved with so many golfers over the years because of my love, whether, you know, Tiger Woods and his foundation. I always host the Tiger Jam in, in Vegas, which I just did a couple of weeks ago. And right. you mentioned Jason Day and his Brighter Day Foundation. So it's been kind of nice to get to know these guys, not having to cover them, but just out of mutual respect and admiration and loving the sport and, and being a fan. And so it's, it's, it's been interesting to enter that arena that way instead of the way I used to do it is, which was covering it back in the day. Yeah. So a, as a fan, and when you're thinking about how you want to make a good impression on Johnny 
the first time you sit down with him. Are you a guy that sort of normally consumes golf content anyhow? You're watching the Golf Channel. Um, you're reading uh, Golf Digest and Golf.com, Golf Magazine, um, and whatever else is is on the internet. Are, are you, like, h- how deep is your, uh, like, consumption of golf content? Because you also have a, a day job. Right. It's, you know, I'm an addict like anybody else. And when I, when I love something, I'm all in and and golf is kind of that release for me. And even when I'm doing my homework and research and whether it's watching golf channel, you know, reading all, anything I can get my hands on the internet, watching videos, whatever it is, um, I enjoy it. it. That's kind of my escape from my, my day job. And what I also love is there's this kind of side aspect where I, I've gotten to know a lot of these guys. I can reach out to them and, and get their opinions. Um, you know, I was, as I said, I was with Tiger a couple of weeks ago and I'm, he had, he got to pebble the day after I played it. I played it uh, Wednesday about a week ago. He was there Thursday and then we were together that weekend and I asked him, I was like, okay, what's your opinion of, of pebble? What do you think? And so it's, it's kind of fun to get the, you know, usual, aspects and, and, and research, but also I can dive in with uh, some inside sources and get a few notes from uh, some of the other guys that, uh, you know, maybe even a lot of reporters aren't privy to. Well, this is a, a terrific segue, and I'm not going to ask you to reveal any any uh, confidences here, but um, I wanted you to to be on the show this week because we're less than two weeks out from the, the beginning of the U.S. Open, which will be competed at Pebble Beach. And I knew that you had just recently played Pebble Beach, and I also knew that you've played Pebble Beach in the AT and T Pro Am. Uh, you know when it's set up for that kind of event in February, and I know you've played it. You know any number of times, just as a, a, a fan and love lover of the game. Um, how did you find Pebble Beach last week when you played it? As as you know, the USGA prepares that venue for for a U.S. Open. Well, if you go back two years to, to the AT&T, it's just Pebble Beach. And then this year, well, you know, and I, I played a practice round actually at Pebble with Jason Day, and I was walking with him, kind of picking his brain. And in February, they had cut in the fairways, but the rough was set up for the AT&T. It was not set up for the open. And, there, right. you know, the fescue hadn't grown up around the, the bunkers, and so it was still very much just resort Pebble Beach. But with the outline of what the USGA was hoping to do in in June, then I had the amazing honor of going back as guest to the USGA this last week and playing it, where the rough is cut and you know the fairways look like strips of bacon as opposed to some of these really big fairways that Pebble Beach actually has. The hitting areas are are usually pretty generous, and right. that's gone. It, it okay. really is. I mean, if you look at you know, there's two two holes in particular you're really going to notice. Number eight, um, obviously number seven is the most famous par three in the world over the ocean. Then number eight, you turn around and go away from the ocean. And usually when you hit up this, it's a blind tee shot up a hill, and it's pretty wide open. You know, you could land a 747 up there. Usually you just bomb it up there, and you're pretty good. And then you have a really difficult second shot over, well, the ocean. You have a massive chasm. Well, now... I don't know how wide it is, but it's about a, a, a quarter of what it usually is up there. So what do and they do? How, I, how do they, is it rough that's grown in? A hundred percent rough on both sides. The left and the right are cut in dramatically on number eight. 
And now if you're, I, I hit a ball and my, my caddy said, just, just knock it out and put it on the short grass and go, you're never going to get there. And I said, well, I just want to see what it's like. And yeah. again, this was rough a week ago. It's not even as high as it's going to be in June. It'll be a lot worse. And I could advance the ball about 150 yards and that's it. And again, I don't have Brooks kept Brooks kept his, you know, forearms, but still it's just the premium on hitting some of these fairways is, you know, as it always is in the U S open, but really extreme there at, at Pebble considering what we're used to. And 18 is another one. You're going to look at 18 and used to be able to go right or left of the tree. That's right in the middle of the fairway and not worry about it and bomb it up near the green because the, the fairway was, you know, a hundred yards wide, not a big deal. Well, again, it, it looks like a little strip of bacon up leading up 18 now, and you have to be so much more precise and dialed in with your iron. Yeah. So, uh, I'm not going to let the opportunity pass to ask you what Tiger said to you about his experience. Well, and, 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 and this, this is the interesting thing. Cause so t- they had had a lot, we've had a lot of weather out here in California. It's been a really wet, rainy winter. And, and Tiger said, and I said, you know, what were your thoughts? And, you know, he agreed, obviously the fairways, the rough and everything they've done. And, but he said, it's so much more wet and soft than it's going to be or what they hope. Anyway, again, if we get weather, there's nothing we can do about it, but obviously the USGA is going to want to dry this thing out and speed up the green, speed up the fairways and make this course a lot tougher. You know, when he played it, he's, he, the only thing he could really take away, like anybody else, is the layout. Um, it's just not going to play the same speed. And, I mean, if you look at number nine, that's another great example. You used to be able to bomb it right, and there was kind of an extra fairway over there. That fairway's gone. It's all fescue. And the USGA has shaved the hill, so if you drive it too far, which usually you'd want to catch the hill and rocket your ball another 100, 150 yards down the fairway, well, the USGA has shaved the fairway and the side of the cliff. So if you catch that hill now, there's about a 70% chance your ball is going to roll all the way down the hill, over the cliff, into the ocean. So, I mean, and that's so some that of the... Means is these guys are going to yeah. be hitting two irons, laying up, and leave themselves about 2, 215 into a green that is really tiny, sitting over the ocean. What you just described in terms of the the conditioning that the USGA um, is is going to do in in particular uh, on that hole, you know, it it calls to mind um, for us for us golf maniacs watching Dustin Johnson on the and uh, in, in the final round, insisting on hitting driver on the front side of of um, you know that Sunday U.S. Open lead that he was sitting on. And watching those bowl balls roll off into either unplayable, you know, rough or fescue or off the cliff. And your point about these guys hitting two irons, I'm curious to get your opinion on this. Do you think, after having watched the PGA Championship at Bethpage, which really proved out the idea that that you know the folks most likely to have success there? Are guys that can hit the ball a long ways. Um, you know, we went one, two with Brooks and DJ. Nobody hits it farther than them, other than than maybe Rory, you put in that conversation. Um, do you think that the setup at the US Open is going to have an equalizing effect in terms of a leveling of the ple- the playing field in terms of the 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 bombers? You know, I, I still like you know, the same guys, you know, the guys that can, 
do a little bit of both. I mean, the, the problem is for the rest of the world right now, the bombers, they're not just, you know, hit and gouge guys. I mean, they're also guys that have tremendous touch. And I think that's the issue. You're facing Brooks Kepka. You know, he's no joke around the greens. DJ's the same way. And that's, I think, their deadliest weapon is that they are so incredibly strong, but they have this amazing touch. Just kind of the modern-day warrior out there. So I still love DJ, who loves Pebble Beach. I love Jason Day, who likes Pebble Beach. And even Tiger, obviously, has had a pretty good track record uh, (laughs) at Pebble Beach. And so it'll be interesting to see uh, if anybody else you know, if, if there is that just pure ball striker that works the ball, um, that isn't among that group, that's going to sneak in there. Uh, you know, always there is at the U S open, right. There's always that kind of outlier. Um, but man, I sure think that this course still sets up for those guys. Yeah. And, and you know, our, our pal, Phil Mickelson announced last week that he's going to tackle Pebble beach with two drivers in his bag, <laughs> one with a, with a with an idea of getting a cut, and then there are still five or six holes, according to his his thesis, where you, it's it's okay to bomb it, and he wants his bomber driver in the bag for that. And you know, we are not going to ever doubt uh, Phil Mickelson when it comes to his his equipment selection. Maybe Muirfield, maybe the Memorial wasn't the right testing grounds for that because he didn't make the cut, but. Look, you know, if any, he he's another guy with a pretty good track record at Pebble, um, and a guy that we'd sure love love to see compete well at the U.S. Open. Um, well, that was one I'm, of the questions I asked Johnny Miller: was is is this Phil's last stand? And he said yes. He said this is Phil's really his last chance to win a U.S. Open. He's going to be what turning forty eight on Father's Day, um, so he, you know he's getting up there in age. And Pebble, as you said, he likes the course. It sets up well to him. He's a California kid. He knows these greens, which are very different out here on the West Coast. Um, and, you know, and then we're heading over um, to Wingfoot, and then we're heading off to, to other courses that really aren't going to suit him any better as he gets older. And so Johnny really puts this one on, on Phil. If he wants that career grand slam, and obviously we all know he's missing the U.S. Open, and this is his best shot. And, Will Phil accept that pressure? Is it going to be too much pressure? Uh, regardless, I, I always love the theater and the character that is Phil Mickelson now. And I think he's embraced being that guy as he gets older, which I love. Well, we have a segment on this podcast where that's Golf Social, where we talk about funny things or interesting things that we've seen across sort of golf media. And I'm, just, I'm telling you, it's just turning into a Phil Mickelson segment because every week he has a new post on Instagram that's just incredible, whether it's his calves, whether it's him taking shots at other players, whether it's, you know, his, his strategy with drivers. I mean, he, he just, this, it, it makes me feel somewhat disappointed that we haven't had this version of Phil in our lives up to this point. Cause his sense of humor well, is incredible. I mean, don't, don't you think though, that these guys, I mean, I'll say the same for tiger that these guys have grown up considerably and, you know, from the days when they are just grinding and trying to win tournaments. And it's not to say they're still not grinding and trying to win, but you know, they realize their own mortality and they realize that they have a bigger role now in the game and, and, and for the United States in general, for Ryder Cup and Walker President's Cup, all this stuff. And so they're starting to get back. They're starting to relax and enjoy, I think, that role. And you just can't do that when you're 30 years old. You're, you're just not that guy. People aren't looking to you for that stuff. And so, yeah, it would have been great to have that sense of humor earlier. But, uh, I mean, when you have Phil Mickelson driving down Magnolia Lane, 
you know, and he had that drop the mic rip on Matt Kuchar. That's his, I mean, you, you can't do that when you're 30. That would have created a, a world war. Uh, but now we all just laugh. And even Kuchar just, all he could do was laugh. It's a, it's a great point. And, and, you know, I, I, I just wish maybe he could have let it out a, a couple years, you know, in the last couple of years. You're absolutely <laughs> when those guys were running a social media, but they deserve an award. Well, I, I honestly, I, I get the impression it's him. I feel like he's doing all the scripts. He's such a natural. He, he has, a, he certainly <laughs> has good. another a f- a future in, in, in the, in the media biz. If that, if he wants to do it, but you're right back in their thirties, those guys were trying to kill each other. So I don't, I don't think they had a lot of time or interest in, uh, right, the, social, exactly. the social media thing at all. I'm interested in this thing. So you just played pebble last week. You've played it in February and I'm trying to come up with a way of, um, correlating good performances in February with what we might see come June in your experience last week, in terms of like the way the wind was blowing, I know that we, the, the, the conditions of the actual course were, were pretty radically different because of the, the changes in rough and so forth. But like, what about, um, um, wind direction and that kind of thing? You, you having played it both times of year now, did it play the same? Was it different? What was the feel? Yeah. I mean, that, that is one thing that will be the same. I, I am a firm believer in a horse for course. Uh, I think, you know, you see it on the PGA Tour week in and week out. Guys have their favorite places, and they perform well there when they're comfortable, and the course sets up and suits their eye, and they're on the greens that they prefer. So I think to that end, there are there is that direct, I think, maybe idea that these guys will do well. But the course that I saw in February is not going to be the course you're going to see in a couple of weeks. It's just not. I mean, it really is. 180 degree difference between the fairways cut in the, the, the length of the rough. I mean, really in February, you can bomb it anywhere, which suits really well for Phil Mickelson, who can just go anywhere over there, right. but you just can't do that. You cannot do that. You will be punished. And they the, the fescue that they've grown up around the bunkers is knee high. Uh, you'll just be punished and you're, you're not going to be able to advance the ball. So, you know, while I do think, you know, loving the West Coast greens, you know, there, there's the weather element that could be the same. You know, typically you're just going to get that, you know, cool breeze in the afternoon, 20 to 25 miles an hour. But if you've got a big pebble storm that blows ashore, then, then who knows? But other than the weather and, and stuff like that, the course is just completely different. And that's why yeah. I think a lot of the guys may have dodged the AT&T this year because they just didn't want to even get it in their brain that it was going to be the same course. Oh wow, it's, that's a, that's interesting. Well, how, how did you do? How how would you compare your performance last week to how you played during the uh, pro am? I I played pretty well. I would say the the rough and the fairways cut in probably uh, evened out the fact that during the uh, AT and T you're scared to death because you know you've got the <laughs> the gallery. You're playing with Jason Day or, or any of these other PGA guys, and you're just trying to, to hold your own. Um, but I, I played it pretty well. Um, and, the, and the weather was nice. You know, it was sunny. We had that 20 to 25 mile an hour wind. And, you know, it, there are some other I- extremely cool differences that the USGA, the way they set the course up for the spectators as well as the golfers that I find interesting. When you get to 17, during the AT&T, the pros and the amateurs, we tee off. There's a little road that goes to the health club right behind one of the tee boxes on 17. Well, we always tee off in front of that road. It's a much shorter hole, 
and there's a TV stand, and there's a grandstand, and there's suites that kind of cover 17, and it kind of takes away the view at the AT&T. Well, the USGA, if you look back at the video of Jack Nicholas and him hitting that one iron, he hits from behind that road. Essentially, you're on the fourth tee box, hitting right. up to 17. That's how far back you are. And from what I could see, the USGA has it set up exactly the same. The tee box is going to be back on the fourth tee, and there's nothing in front of that green to stop the wind. So when you're looking down 17, you're just seeing the ocean and the 18th tee box, and you're exposed to the elements, which I find really interesting and kind of old school. I love it. I love it too. I'm, uh, you're, you're, my excitement level is rising. You can't hear it, but I, I'm telling you that the hairs on the back of my neck are starting to stand up because I can just just picture that without that grandstand kind of blocking the wind coming in from 18. I'm just, it's going to be so good. Well, it just, I mean, you think of those vintage shots, whether it's Jack bouncing the one iron off the stick or even Tom Watson over there hacking out of the rough and chipping in. That 17 is always wide open and exposed. I, I, and I just, it's, to me, it is one of the most beautiful areas and golf holes in the world that doesn't need to be tarnished by a bunch of TV stands or spectators or whatever. And there are spectators over to the side there at 17, clearly, but um, it's a lot more open than it is at the AT&T. And the 18th is set up dramatically different as well, as far as spectators are concerned. And it just, it looks like the U.S. Open. No, that's a, it's going to be unbelievable. I, I can't let you go. We're still, there's still time. Uh, we're still about 10 days out before it kicks off. I can't let you go without giving me your, your, your early pick. I won't hold you to it, but what, how, who are you feeling out of the guys, what you've observed. I mean, we watched Patrick Cantlay put on a performance yesterday uh, at, at the memorial that honestly had a, a a caliber of play that felt like you know a guy capable of conquering a U.S. Open. Uh, obviously, Kepka is at the, the very US t- Open. Was it? It was. It was not the U.S. Open. <laughs> So let, let let me let me hear let me hear a name if you have a name we watched Tiger burn down the front nine yesterday I mean let me let me hear what what your early thoughts are on on a guy that you might uh, think will emerge um, with 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 this U.S. Open look I'm going to take Brooks Kepka off the board uh, okay. you know, that's that's too easy and I'm not going to allow anybody to just pick him in public I appreciate I appreciate that board so that, that, yeah. that's a no brainer good um, integrity I appreciate the integrity. I, if I'm going to go dark horses, not that he's a huge dark horse, probably seven to one in Vegas. Last I saw, uh, I would probably pick Tiger. Uh, I think he's on form. I think uh, he was a lot sicker than people knew about at the PGA Championship, and and that really didn't get out. I don't think he was feeling good. Wow. Um, his he, he's on form and he's playing good, and he loves Pebble Beach. Um, so I'm definitely not going to put it past him if he's striking the ball well. Jason Day. He loves Pebble Beach. He always plays well at the AT&T, and he is a, a big enough bomber and has the short game uh, as good as anybody in the game. Um, and I think you got to throw DJ. So I would go Tiger Day DJ if I can't take Kepka. Okay. That, that, that's, that's pretty just, good. The like, only thing I would say about DJ, I'm not sure where his head is right now. You know, getting rid of his coach, changing coaches. He hasn't been playing all that great. Uh, he would definitely be an outlier in one of my later picks. Um, but he, he does love that course and obviously his game suits it. I just don't know where his head is these days. Well, that second place finish at the PGA championship, you know, where he was really the only guy in the afternoon, that late wave to, to go under par. I mean, it felt like around 
he ended up shooting three under, and it felt like if he'd gone off in the morning, it could have been an eight under uh, kind of round. But I, I understand what you're the, the the point that you're making. I, I, I well, that's I don't the thing. Think- he's he's still so explosive that at any given time, if he's on, I mean, he's like Kepka, where you think, well, what game is he playing? Because it's not the same as the rest of these guys. And he's fully capable of it. I'm just not sure where he is these days. It's hard to tell. Well, he's playing in Canada this week, so maybe we'll get a little bit of uh, insight into it. Chris Harrison, the next time you will be on the podcast with Johnny Miller, Real Golf Talk with Johnny Miller, will be the Monday after the U.S. Open. We should have a champion unless it's uh, we need a playoff, in, in, in which case yeah, you'll, yeah, you'll have to wait around. Uh, throw a caveat. It could be the Tuesday after the U.S. Open <laughs> if there is a, a playoff. Right, right. Yeah, but e- either way, uh, I can't wait to hear what you and Johnny um, cook up. And thanks for coming on today. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. And yeah, I'm honored to be sitting down with Johnny. And uh, if you need to find our podcast, uh, I think it's on iTunes now. You can go to Callaway.com and uh, their website, Real Golf Talk with Johnny Miller. And uh, I can't wait to hear his thoughts on Pebble because, you know, even talking to him after the PGA Championship, you mentioned the excitement level. I thought he was ready to go go play himself again. I mean, he was ready. He's he's fired up that it's in his backyard. He loves Pebble. He lives there. Uh, and so it's it's going to be fun to get his perspective of being there all week and being a part of it. Um, so I can't wait. And uh, we will uh, see what happens Monday when we uh, bring Johnny in. Yeah. I mean, if Johnny's fired up, I'm fired up. Chris Harrison, thanks for coming on <laughs> Fairway Rolling. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the time. Always. All right. Huge thanks to my man, Chris Harrison, for coming on. Very excited to hear the upcoming episode of Real Golf Talk with Johnny Miller. We have, speaking of Real Golf Talk, Schusty coming up next with Golf Social. But first, a word from our friends at Ethos. You may think you don't need life insurance yet, but I'm here to tell you, my friends, if you have loved ones who depend on you, you need to have a plan. Act like an adult. Do some adulting for a minute. Thankfully, Ethos makes doing the responsible thing easy. With Ethos, you can get covered in 10 minutes online and even sign up right from your phone. We're talking about life insurance coverage, providing for your loved ones down the road in case something unexpected happens. No pesky paperwork or pushy salespeople. Just choose a policy that fits your needs and don't waste time deciphering fine print. Ethos treats you like a person not a risk. They work to make sure you have the right policy for your lifestyle and budget. A dedicated customer support team is right here in the USA to help with any questions you may have. Visit ethoslife.com and click check my price to get started on the quick online application. Ensure your life today by going to ethoslife.com slash fairway to apply online. Assuring your life and providing your family with financial security has never been easier. That's E-T-H-O-S-Life.com slash fairway. And you're 10 minutes away from your estimated rate. Make sure your family's future is safe no matter what. Fresh off her attempt to qualify for the U.S. Open at the regional sectional, Cedar Home Golf and Aquatics, 
the assistant to the assistant head maintenance manager, Megan Schuster, how are you? I'm great, House. I was so close to making that cut, but unfortunately, it's not going to happen for me this year. Maybe next year. It's all about the try, Schusty. Yes. It's all about the try. Yes. And we learned from Phil Mickelson, as we always do last week, that it is all about the try. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Phil posted yet another incredible, incredible Instagram video on Thursday, um, revealing that his U.S. Open strategy is to use two different drivers. One, quote, for cute little cuts, and another two, of course, as his new trademark phrase is, to hit bombs. Um, in this video, he threw yet another dig at Bubba Watson in the process, saying he had a B-E-A-R chest hair. Uh, and he ex- Phil explained that one of the reasons he was going with the cut route uh, last weekend at Memorial and at the upcoming U.S. Open is that he didn't want to hit bombs if he had to have Watson-like chest hair going on. Um, he later unrelented and said that he added the big driver back to the bag as well, which was all fine and good. Um, and he seemed pretty excited, but the strategy uh, did not exactly go well this weekend, I would say. Um, he tested it out at Memorial. He missed the cut, uh, wrapped up a Friday 79 round. Um, and at one point, Will Gray of the Golf Channel tweeted out that Phil's driving distance was ranked first Um in the tournament, but his strokes gained off the tee was 104th. So not exactly what you're looking for uh, when you're going with the two driver thing. Uh, What do you think about his whole strategy house? And do you think he sticks with it at the U.S. Open? Well, this is not the first time that he's gone double driver. So Schusty, in 2006, Mickelson used two drivers, one to hit a draw, one to hit a fade. And he he did this uh, back. he, He tried it out first at what used to be the tour event in the Atlanta area area at uh, the TPC Sugarloaf down in Duluth. And he won that event by 13 shots. So he had those two drivers pretty well figured out. And a week later, he went down to the masters with the two drivers and, and uh, won his second green jacket. So there is a precedent for success with using the dual driver combo. There is nothing at all surprising about Phil tinkering with equipment to try and, you know, sort of maximize what he perceives to be um, any kind of advantage he can gain. The interesting thing to me is he played this golf course two months ago and he didn't use two drivers then. Right. So there was like an opportunity to, this is the, the, rationale i believe the way that the pebble beach plays for the pro-am that's competed in february is radically different than the version of pebble beach that the guys are going to be playing in uh less than two weeks in uh middle of june and i get that but in terms of like weather conditions you know wind the prevailing winds and so forth i would have thought he might have wanted to do some experimentation just even in in pro-am kind of formats the lead up to the event and he didn't do that so i'm not sure yeah i i agree i don't mind the overall strategy i do find the fact that he is testing this out two weeks before the u.s open slightly suspect um especially when this is you know the last major that you're going for for your career sweep you would think that uh you would want to you know, give this a couple weeks and maybe try it out at a couple different courses. But uh, overall, it's, you know, was punctuated by yet another amazing video. So I guess I can't complain too terribly much. 
the trade-off is absolutely worth it. I mean, honestly, I'm rooting for him. I want him to do well, but I don't care. As long as he keeps giving <laughs> us this glorious content. And, you know, he to his credit, he uh, he gave us the the rationale for the two uh, drivers. And, you know, the results weren't what I think he was hoping for. But he was still uh, uh, not so flattened by missing the cut that he missed out on an opportunity to participate in the NBA uh, uh, finals dialogue <laughs> by offering up his services with a picture of his epic leap, epic leap when he won the Masters back in 2004. Yeah, he really has been, I mean, we talk about this, I feel like on a weekly basis now, but he really has been quite the social content machine so far this year. And I think, you know, regardless of whether the Warriors or Raptors could actually use him on the court, um, I'm sure both of their uh, social media departments could use his services throughout this series. He is a, he is the master of social media. He has established himself across the entire sporting world as the master of social media in 2019. So all social media departments, including the ringer.com, could use a little Phil Mickelson. No offense to Mel Downey. We love Pat, <laughs> but I'm just saying, all Phil can do is enhance. He's an enhancer. Strongly agree. Strongly agree. Yeah. So what else have we got this week? Uh, we have yet another Matt Kuchar saga, which uh, do you think this will ever end, House? These uh, many, many controversial rulings and rules officiating and all of that jazz. Um, at this point, it does not seem likely to me that we will see an end to it this year. But uh, we've already gone through the caddy payment controversy, the Sergio match play argument, and subsequent like hostage video on Instagram. Uh, now we've got another one to add to the list. So Thursday at Memorial, Cooch took on a few different PGA rules officials over a pitch mark on number 17. Now, I'm not going to get into like great detail on the rules and specifics because frankly, it's uh, kind of boring. His ball dropped into a pitch mark uh, and that pitch mark was ruled to have not been made by him. So he wasn't allowed a relief drop. He disagreed naturally, uh, called two different rules officials over a TV camera person for video evidence and tried to bring a third official over before the madness was eventually stopped. Uh, safe to say that people are sort of, frankly, sick of Kuchar's stuff going on on tour. Um, Eddie Pepperell tweeted out on Thursday that, quote, it's been quite a year for Matt Kuchar as he leads the PGA in both money and shithousery. Um, so, yeah, just do you think Kuchar's like trying to play into his heelness now? Has he just fallen too far down the rabbit hole and now can't see that his once fan favorite image has radically changed? Uh I'm very curious what his strategy is. I just think he's in his own feels. He's in the Kucher feels, <laughs> and it turns out they're not that relatable. Like, mm -mm. they're not feels that the rest of us can make any sense out of. I th This rules controversy didn't emanate from any anything having to do with the, the new rules. Mm -mm. Um, this was a, a regular old, you know, garden variety where did the ball end up and a player trying to, you know, um, persuade the rules officials that uh, some some relief ought to be obtained. The thing that uh, distinguished it was his uh, persistence. Yes. Like the it, and, it, and that the persistence gave the overall impression that it was he was it was kind of slightly disrespectful mm -hmm. slightly condescending and 
in the in in if all by itself in the absence of the things that have gone down this season with uh, Sergio Garcia and with the the Caddy Pay thing, if those were not part of the Kucher story over the last six months, then this thing would just be you know kind of another um, bullheaded PGA professional trying to get his way. Um, through a little bit of heavy handedness with with the rules officials, because the the balance of power there is not even. Those rules officials are, you know, by and large, um, you know, folks that that are inclined. While they're they're protecting the field and they're protecting the game, they're also in uh, a recognition of the, the the professional players and you know the fact that this is on television. So. You know, Kucher throwing it around a little bit um, is kind of par for the course, but he just wouldn't give it up. He Mm -hmm. asked for a second opinion, and it looked like he was maybe even going to ask for – he did indeed put it to the guys, can I get a third opinion? And this was after 10 minutes. It's also disrespectful to his his playing partner. Like, at at some point on a – on an issue like this, you got to move on because it's not – 10 minutes is too long. Five minutes, maybe it's fair. You got the initial uh, uh, reaction. It. I didn't see anything about um, the the path of the ball, the travel of the ball after it landed that suggested that he had a leg to stand on mm-hmm. in terms of this pitch mark thing. But the the bigger picture is just you know sort of the 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 doggedness, the persistence in the face of you know what reality seemed to be suggesting. Was the thing that that um, I think set off uh, had had everybody in the golf world rolling their eyes again at the cooch. Yeah, um, I agree, and I you know I'm all for trying to get whatever you can. Like him asking for a second opinion doesn't bother me. It's the third opinion that bothers me, and also your point about relatability. Uh, it's just been interesting to watch this year because I felt like. Kucher's calling card with a lot of fans over the last few years has been that relatability aspect. Now, he's not exactly a relatable player because he's, you know, a, an incredible golfer and, you know, on the PGA Tour, but uh, he's always sort of seemed like the guy next door, for like a lack of a better word, like just very friendly, very, um, you know, tries his best just out here, you know, trying to win. And this year has seen like a very marked turn from that image. I mean that that that's it, and this this is as far as I'm concerned a third strike thing. I don't know that he wants his name in the the you know in golf media or other media, <laughs> depending on how dumb the story is. For the rest of of the season, he would do well to just go ahead and play and keep his head down, and let the his play be the reason for people to be talking about him. He still is on top of the FedEx Cup standings i think he's still the leader uh in in money so you know let let's take a a break from you know uh so, so some of the extra press cooch that's mm-hmm. my recommendation house do you know who is letting their game do the talking for them recently talk to me can you guess <laughs> who <laughs> who i'm who i'm getting this excited about talking about this week i bet um, i bet it, it rhymes with with uh uh morden 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 reef <laughs> how's our man is back i think we can officially say he's back now i will tenor this saying he has not won yet but jordan spieth has three top 10 finishes three straight 
recorded his third this weekend at Memorial. Um, granted, he had sort of a disappointing Sunday, shooting one over par and kind of falling away as Patrick Cantlay had just an incredible Sunday and took his second tour win. But uh, that run of three straight top tens includes a tied for third of the PGA Championship. And Jordan said yesterday that he is, quote, on the rise, which is great to hear from someone who just two and a half months ago said he was admitted that he was in a slump and that he was tired of it. So what do you think of his U.S. Open prospects? Am I getting too ahead of myself if I expect big things from him next weekend? Um, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he it, There are so many encouraging signs, and it is, in a way, kind of an, an untold story. At some point, once it's in his rearview mirror and he's back sort of, you know, winning with a, a, a little bit of frequency, he, whenever he gets this next win under his belt and he can say, aha, I've conquered that demon. I'm very interested in his version of what has been going on mm -hmm. because it, he, 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 he really went from the highest highs to some pretty low lows over the last 14 months or so. And I'm, I'm just wondering what things, you know, in, in, in his life, um, he would point to, mm -hmm. to help explain it. Now in his golf game, the elements that have propelled him back into the top 10 realm are his short game and his putter. And, and, you know, each of these last three top tens, He's either led the field or been in the top three of putting and and you know short game uh, touch kind of uh, metrics. The problem I'm foreseeing is his <laughs> approach shots. His ball striking is still leaving a lot to be desired. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's in the middle of fairways and still missing greens. Um, I think he's still well north of of you know. He's not anywhere near the the uh, even the hundred mark in terms of the top hundred um, strokes gained approach mm -hmm. right now, which is a problem because Pebble Beach is a second shot golf course. I think Pebble Beach and maybe Augusta National are the are the two that folks would point to as saying you know the important thing here is hitting greens in regulation. They're among the smallest greens, if not the smallest greens that they play. And, you know, while, while putting is always important and always a way to try and level the playing field, if you miss these greens in U.S. open conditions, it's super hard to get up and down. So I'm I'm cautiously optimistic is the way I'll say it about about your boy George Spieth. <laughs> I I agree with you. I'm not picking him for this tournament. It feels a little bit too early in the comeback cycle for me. I just want him to have a solid showing. But I will tell you, House, there is a tournament coming up in July at Royal Portrush that I cannot wait to watch him play in. That timeline feels a little bit more realistic to me, and. Just watching Spieth carve his way through Open Championships is truly one of the most magical things about golf for me. I'm with you, and and it it is in all of our mutual interests to have him competitive and good. And you know, there's nothing like it when he starts rolling putts in from all over the golf course, from all over the you know, from any distance on the greens to to like be tr like a truly captivating 
um, and, and, you know, exhilarating thrill ride when he gets it going. So we just need him to get like sort of back to, to middle of the pack in terms of the ball striking mm-hmm. to, to if he can keep this momentum going with the putter, it really does seem like he found something. But what if we get to start talking about the top handful of guys and we say DJ and we say Kepka and we say Tiger <laughs> and we say Justin Rose and we say Rory and we get to say Jordan Spieth again. That would be pretty exciting, Schusty. That's all I want. It's all I'm looking for. Just put well, him in the conversation again. <laughs> that the, well, we, we are definitely going to put him in um, the clothing conversation because next week is the U.S. Open preview week. We will, as has become our new tradition here on Golf Social, uh, go through the scripts, see what the guys have lined up. Now, you, we, we were both pretty disappointed with the scripting for the PGA Championship. It felt like the guys were missing an opportunity to do something really out of the box with, the, mm-hmm. with New York. Um, the U.S. Open, I guess, will present you know some stars and stripes, a lot of red, white, and blue kind of opportunities, which is always cool and always, you know... Um, something I look forward to, but I, I just across the board, I hope, I hope we see some stuff that, that isn't just, you know, straight down the middle, big block, red, white, and blue. I agree. I was, I will go a little further and say I was extremely disappointed with the scripting for most of the PGA championship. I too hope that, uh, we'll get a little bit of maybe some California vibes, some, you know, Monterey Bay, some pastels, Ooh. maybe some, you know, I, love it. I have high hopes. I have expectations. I, you know, Pebbles an iconic golf course, and hopefully we get some good looks to accompany that. I'm right there with you. Uh, so we'll have that. And we know that Phil Mickelson will have something for us next week as well. Yes. Until then, Schusty. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to let you go drown your sorrows and missing out on the sectional regional U.S. Open qualification exercise. Thank you, House. I, I need it. <laughs> and now on the tee, fresh off the qualifier at Hackers Paradise from Memphis, Tennessee, Chris Vernon. Yo, Verno! House. Oh, my goodness. Are we going to be able to focus on the Canadian Open and our brothers in Canada when we know that Pebble Beach is only two weeks away? I mean, it's it's less than two weeks away. It's like it's like 10 days. I can barely contain the excitement I had on uh, <laughs> er, earlier today. Chris Harrison, the host of The Bachelor among and The Bachelorette, among many other things. He's doing a podcast with Johnny Miller, Real Golf Talk with Johnny Miller. I know you know this. But he played Pebble last week, and so I had to pick his brain a little bit about what we're going to see. And he says it's going to be a radically different golf course from what we're accustomed to seeing each February at that that Pro-Am event. And, I mean, I'm telling you, he's describing it, and I started to get pretty excited, Verno. <laughs> well, Chris Harrison is not the only person that played Pebble Beach last week. Wait, 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 wait. I didn't. Oh, good. I didn't. <laughs> I thought <laughs> you did, though. Yes, you're right about that. Well, let's just jump right into it. How about this week in Tiger Woods? Tiger! Tiger! Tiger Woods! <laughs> yeah, so we saw him on the gram, among other places. There was there was regular media pictures. He was on the gram. I mean, there was a lot of footage of Tiger 
out there at at uh, Pebble Beach. In fact, Chris Harrison sh- shared with us uh, an anecdote. He he played it like on a Wednesday, and Tiger was out there on like a Thursday. And Harrison hosts the annual giant fundraiser, the Tiger Jam, for Tiger's Foundation each year out in Vegas. And so Harrison was telling us that he went uh, and and got in Tiger's ear a little bit about you know Tiger's experience at Pebble after Harrison himself had played it. And uh, you know I think Tiger's in the in the right uh, frame of mind. He's got some some perspective here. What did you think? Well, I mean, he just got a top ten. Right, so he tied for ninth. He was fantastic yesterday. Uh, minus five on the round, fourth round. You know, he and and he had that could have been even lower. I mean, he had birdie putts nine and ten that he missed, and the best round was obviously Cantlay's eight under. Streelman was six under. DeChambeau was six under, and then Tiger. I mean, in terms of guys in that fourth round that got him in that top ten. And more importantly, he ended that tournament with 20 birdies um, and just kept on talking about how good he was feeling about where he was and how many good shots he felt like he hit. You know, he had a couple of doubles there um, throughout the round that kind of took away from the fact that he ended up with 20 birdies uh, in this tournament. And more importantly, he was talking about the work they've done on the range. He talked about, you know, he obviously went and, checked out Pebble Beach, and then, you know, we've talked about how, obviously, he's had insane success there prior to, but, you know, when when we got to the Masters, we, we talked about how the course management of it all and about how he has this distinct advantage in knowing exactly what he wants to do at that course, and the same holds true with Pebble Beach House. That's why I feel good about this, because... You know, I'm just listening to him talk, and he was talking about how he changed his swing a little bit to ease up on his back, and he's hitting the ball exactly how he wants to right now, and that they were working on the range, though he was having to hit it a little bit lower because of the wins at this Memorial Tournament. He was talking about getting the ball up, 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 because the greens are tiny, and they're going to be very firm. And so you just listen to him talk, and you listen to him talk about Pebble Beach, and it sounds like somebody that knows exactly what they want to do when they go in there. And he's like, I get to go out there, and I'll get to have a week more of practice before this deal. I felt great um, this weekend and was hitting the ball exactly how I wanted to. And then he's talking about practicing all the things he needs for Pebble Beach, right? Not like practicing for, hey, I got to do really well in this memorial. But this is a guy that was already that far out talking about how basically what he's always said, right? Everything is geared towards being highly successful and winning uh, these majors. And I don't know, man, I got caught up in it. He was smiling a lot. He was talking about how everything he has practiced uh, is coming to fruition and that he knows exactly what he wants to do when he gets out to Pebble and knows the way it's going to set up. Um, I am, I am persuaded house. I'm, I'm getting caught up in it. I'm glad that you talked about the smiling because there, there is. So I want to, uh, uh, emphasize a couple points in, in, in the first place for, for the recap of the PGA championship, Bill Simmons came on 
And Simmons expressed some disappointment in Tiger for with, with his like inability to to recharge and to be ready for the PGA Championship um, following the Masters victory. And I was ex- kind of explaining to him just the observation that that golf media um, had made was that it was just not enough time between the Masters and the PGA Championship for him to get himself, you know, sort of re re uh, energized and at the level of practice that he needed to be at to be successful in the majors. Chris Harrison just shared uh, on, on the show in the segment earlier today that. Uh, Tiger was sick, that he was under the weather, uh, and that, you know, there was, uh, he did miss a practice session on a day where he was, it was expected. Um, He'd announced that he was going to practice, and then he didn't do it. And they were were a little bit obtuse about his his physical well-being, just a little feeling a little under the weather. But it must have been the case that he he was feeling uh, pretty down. I mean, you know, he, he, he didn't really look like he had it at all and he couldn't get anything going at all up there at, at Beth page. But when you look at him this week, when we see this version of tiger, where it's clear that his energy is back, that he's, he's feeling a okay when he's interacting with the fans. I mean, there was a, a clip on, on the social media that the tour put up him walking up, you know, in between holes and some guy yells out to him, Tiger, you hit me in the leg. And he takes his golf ball without missing a beat and tosses it right to the dude. He had a ball in his hand. He's like, here we go. There you go, homie. And everybody gave a little cheer. And, you know, the the interview he did with Balionis yesterday after his round, how happy he was, how smiley he was, and how satisfied he clearly was. And and it, it, it bears out, I mean, the 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 one metric that I care about for the purposes of his preparation for this Pebble Beach uh, adventure is strokes gained approach, which is the same metric that that um, was highly relevant at Augusta, because in the same way that Augusta is a, is regarded as a second shot golf course, the same is true of Pebble Beach. Now Pebble Beach is is slightly different from Augusta in one material way, which is at Augusta, you can hit the ball pretty much anywhere and 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 still try and reach the green. That ain't going to be the case at Pebble Beach in in, in ten days, Verno. But well, it here's is, the thing. I'm gonna I'll I'll make a little excuse for him on the PA thing. All right. Yeah. He, all right. He did not he did not have it. He did not play well. He missed every damn fairway. Literally. He missed every fairway, and that place is harder than hell anyway. I mean, once you miss fairways at Bethpage, I mean, forget it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you got to be, you got to give yourself a chance. But I mean, the fact that he couldn't get anything to fall in the fairway, I, I mean, it was it was obscene. And so he was just battling the entire time. I, I, I don't want to make too many excuses, but. If there is a, you've got to be playing great to play well there. You have to. Here, here's the thing: we watched him yesterday. There was a at a moment it felt like he might hit every fairway in regulation. He started off; he was definitely ten for ten and eleven for eleven. I don't know if he missed twelve or thirteen, but he hit every green in regulation all the way up to that point, and he was like eleven for eleven, twelve for twelve in fairways in regulation in that round yesterday, which is part of why I think. He was so tickled, 
But this strokes gain approach, here's how he went over the four days at the Memorial. On Thursday, he was 38th amongst his peers. So, you know, over 100 and whatever number of guys played in that event, 110 or so. 37th on Friday, easy made cut. 16th in strokes gain approach uh, across that the board uh, through his round on Saturday. And he finished yesterday 7th in that statistic. That's a dude who's hitting greens in regulation. He's second on tour this season in percentage of greens hit in regulation. He's in the top 10 at this moment of strokes gained approach. And for that particular skill set that we are, we, we know Pebble emphasizes, I'm right there with you, my friend. It is, it is uh, uh, plenty to be excited about. Well, and he came out and yesterday, I mean, first hole. He buried it from the bunker. He just put it in the damn hole. I don't know how many strokes gained you get off that house. (laughs) 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 He just put it, he just put it, I mean, he was in the bunker, you know, on that left side of the green, and then he just holed out. And I was like, all right, let's go. And he said yesterday through about 12 holes, I mean, mean, he talked about, like, like, the score could have, it's not crazy to say he was five, under yesterday and that could have easily been seven or eight like that's not like no it was no stretch at all he missed makeable birdie putts birdie putts that he makes on the par three fourth hole on the and you mentioned nine and ten both of those were crazy makeable uh birdie putts those were not a stretch in any way shape or form you're absolutely right well if he and now he's gonna obviously go practice there for a week, and it just it felt so reminiscent to the Augusta stuff and him talking about it leading up and about how he just talked. You know, when you hear guys talk about the 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 majors and they talk about even something like Pebble Beach, they it doesn't feel like they are so specific in terms of them talking about the event, but he was getting so specific about how he is practicing and why he is practicing that way and what it's going to take. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that, that's exactly right. I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm interested. We, we've, we've done this segment. We, we always want to talk about tiger, take the temperature, see how we're feeling, see how he's feeling. We're excited. The excitement is, is, is high. It isn't going to change he's going to fall you know, we're not going to see anything out of him because he's not playing in Canada this week. All we're going to see is more pictures of him practicing and grinding, and we will pay acute attention to what we're hearing about his his practice routine and 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 what he's expecting. But let's give a little shine to Patrick Cantlay. I mean, that was a hell of a round yesterday, Verno. Yeah, Pat, Patrick Cantlay certainly deserves shine. I mean, he posted eight under yesterday, and like I said, you had DeChambeau, who wasn't close, who was six under. Then you had Streelman, six under. Tiger with the five under. So he had the best round by wide margin. And it just felt like once he got cracking and he got that lead, he just kept distancing himself from the rest of the guys. He's been playing really well this year. Um, he's certainly somebody to watch because I, you looked at that leaderboard and there were so many guys that were like out of the mix. Um, you know, guys that didn't even make the cut. Rory didn't make the cut. Jason Day didn't make the cut. Finau was an abomination, uh, as was Justin Thomas. 
you know, when we got to see him play in again, I mean, these guys were like plus sevens or something uh, yeah, before they right. ended up getting cut. And so well, for him to put up the number, you know, he wasn't exactly staring down the barrel of a gun, though. Spieth was right in the mix all the way up until round four. I'm glad you mentioned him. So uh, the reason that I wanted to bring back, uh, bring up Cantlay is because we're, we're still early in the, in the formulation here. But he's sitting, he was available yesterday at 28 to 1 to win the U.S. Open, and his odds dropped all the way down to 20 to 1. And of course, I didn't get in on it. But what we saw yesterday in terms of the ball striking is the kind of game that I think is a U.S. Open. It's very well suited to it, to a U.S. Open. Now, I haven't had the opportunity yet to do my research to check out Patrick Cantlay. And his uh, experiences at Pebble Beach, and whether it's it's a place that he has any kind of relationship with, but we'll do that research. That's all coming up here in the fullness of time. But I'm just saying, from a ball striking perspective, that's the kind of thing where that that was a major league, major championship kind of ball striking performance. And you mentioned the year he's been having. He's finished inside the top 10 at both the Masters and the PGA Championship. And those are two pretty different venues in terms of format and, and style of play. So he has my eye, at, and he's down to 20 to 1. He's still, I'm still looking at him at 20 to 1. But you just mentioned a gentleman who's sitting there at 16 to 1 who has, in the, for the first time in, in over a year, three consecutive top 10 finishes on tour, and that is one Jordan Spieth. How are you feeling right now about Jordan Spieth, my man, Verno? I was feeling a lot better. Um, and he still played decently well. He just, listen, that run that he went on, uh, you know, a few years back, and then obviously you had the Masters collapse uh, against Danny Willett. But he, like, I... I thought, like at that time, and we've done this many times. Obviously, we're starting to do it with Kepka again. We get on a run like that. It's like, all right, this is the guy that you may be looking up at the leaderboard, and then he is just—he just did not play well. Um, and he keeps on saying all the right things, like you know, uh, it's nothing big, and we've kind of figured it out. You know, we figured it out, and then I'll buy into it, and then he'll, you know, break my heart again. Um, you know, because we talked about the Byron Nelson and, oh, man, he's going to have a chance there. And But he did play pretty well in the in the majors, right? I mean, and certainly at the Masters. Yeah, no, well. he, um, and, and he was he, – he led the field in strokes game putting at, at Bethpage and was a, you know, was a top yeah. five finish at, at Bethpage. The 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 disappointing thing is still he can't give us a Sunday. Give us a another seventy three on a Sunday. We we need George oh, Speed to give and us and a he's Sunday. Like, he's like in the two. He's like in the two hundred. I, I right like, right on scoring average on Sunday. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yes. So so that's the Just last the the last hurdle, uh, and you know. As he makes this progress, it continues to me to feel like it's more mental than anything else. Because if you if you could shoot sixty six on on Thursday and then back it up with a sixty nine on Saturday, as things start to ratchet up a little bit. Now that earlier in the year he was having decent Thursday, decent Friday, and then falling apart on the weekend, and and now it looks like he's creeping in where Saturday doesn't necessarily wreck him but he can't get across the goal line 
with a closer well, kind of Sunday, right? And this is, yeah, and he was, I, he always felt like the kind of guy that was like a killer instinct guy. Yeah, a, that, a like, real closer. And, and Yeah, and it was, it was Cantlay yesterday. He just strangled out the field. Man, that um, was impressive. Just, yeah, I mean, he just, he strangled him out. He, he was never, he was never going to see that at all. Now, here's the weird thing, House. We're talking about Spieth, like trying to get it back. The hell is, what, what the hell is up with McElroy? Uh, like we're talking about like oh Rory's like right there. If it's not Rory, it's DJ. If it's not DJ, it's Rory. And it's like back to like missing cuts. Like I know. what happened? I well he 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 backdoored into a top ten at the PGA championship. He was right on on, on the cut line and then he, he survived. Uh he made the cut and you know, he had the benefit of playing in the morning, Sunday morning. And he and about three other guys went out and 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 went under par. And then the afternoon wave came, and all those guys had a different golf course because the wind picked up. And he managed a, a top ten finish at the PGA Championship. And his worst performance of the year up until this this weekend was the Masters, when he still had a top thirty finish. But you know, I I guess I'm inclined to give him a benefit of the doubt that like he's going to have a bad performance at some point. Um, he's playing this week, and let's go ahead and segue into but, Canada. But I, what, I, what, I'm, what I'm saying is, he ain't there in like yeah. that chance to win the tournament stuff at the very end. And didn't it feel like, if it wasn't Rory, it, it was either a Rory week or a DJ week. And sometimes it was both of them. And obviously, early in the season, when they went head-to-head, and Rory birdied every damn hole down the stretch and couldn't even gain a stroke. Uh, the, the there was the WGC event in Mexico. Yeah, that's right. Um, he yeah. couldn't catch Dustin DJ because DJ was messing him. Give up the lead. Yeah, yeah. He he would just would not give up the lead, and it was like, damn man, this guy is going to be tough to beat if he plays like this because it took all of Dustin Johnson just playing out of his mind. And then it's, I mean, he just has not been there on Sunday. He's where and I really thought at the beginning of this season he was going to be just a killer guy that like okay now he's come into his own um, just didn't take or hasn't yet he's been fine but he hasn't been a superstar uh, other than him closing the door properly at the Players Championship um, he yep. he's been on the leaderboard on Sundays and then not been able to, to seal the deal. And there was one more instance of that in between, you know, the, the, the last, uh, stretch uh, of events. Um, we have a really Im- impressive set of top notch players assembled for the RBC Canadian. You have Kepka, you have DJ, you have Rory and you have JT, Justin Thomas, all playing in this event, and it must be, you know, just uh, schedule-wise, these guys, DJ and Kepka haven't haven't played, so they want to get the work in. JT's coming off of a wrist injury, um, so he needs he just needs the rounds, and hopefully he makes the cut. Um, and and uh, Rory just missed a cut, so maybe he can get back that that loving feeling by way of going up to Canada and and, and doing something. Do you have any thoughts on on a pick this week? Well, I mean, obviously, I, I do think one of those big dogs 
is going to win it, especially given where it falls on the schedule. This is earlier um, than it typically is, much earlier. I mean, obviously the schedule is all mo- – mo- a lot of these things are not uh, – the Masters is when exa- exactly when it has been and when it will always be. It feels like everything else is at a different time than it's typically been, right? They keep on shifting around the schedule. This is another one. Now, this is the one I actually remember this. This was the lightning delay tournament last year, right? Yes. Where they, yes. Dustin Johnson was like out of his mind and then had to come back after like two and a half hours and play more. He, he um, did it, though. He did it. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, listen. I I certainly think one of those favorites, like a Johnson, like a Kepka. Um, I did not like many of the long shots that are involved in this when I looked at the board, and the favorites are horrendous. Like I mean, the, the odds are just—I mean, it's a oh, joke. Right? We're not touching. We're not the touching. Odds. No. So here's what we got to do: we got to <laughs> hope that those guys are a little further down, and we get them after the first day. Oh, by the way, and I did not, by the way, uh, let me just say this. I did not know about this bet until after this bet was placed. Okay. One of my buddies got, uh, saw Cantlay. He was eight to one, right. To win this Memorial. He put, I guess after was it, would that have been after the third round? Probably. Yeah. Saturday, it had right? to have been Saturday night. Saturday night had to have been okay. right. Saturday night. He bet $500 on him to win four grand. And we said, are you a friggin' maniac putting <laughs> on a golfer? Like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. And I guess the joke was on us. Now, in fairness, like all of us, that four grand will be lost by tomorrow, you know? Oh, of course. <laughs> he he, he, the, he's a gambler. He, he, probably had the, he probably had the Raptors last night and then like five French Open bets this morning. <laughs> right. Yeah. All, that, money, that money might as well be gone. I, I I'm shocked by the 500 is bold. I mean, that that's, t- I, 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 that's, that's even out of my league. I don't, I don't pick one guy that's and, and put, put 500 on them, you know, without it being like the, the day of, and, and trying to like, you know, hedge some exposure I have somewhere else. Um, well, I, I, I it's going to be hard to, for, for me to move off of, uh, uh, the top four as well. Um, all right, Verno, it's time. The Epic Flash Pick of the Week brought to us by Callaway's Epic Flash Driver with Flash Face Technology used by none other than Women's U.S. Open champion Jung-Yoon Lee Six. Did you watch any of that Women's Open, by the way? I did not. Oh, well, look, here's... I, I watched quite a bit of it um, because... Hey, don't you Hank Haney me. <laughs> oh, I'm not. I'm not doing anything. What I want to tell you is the reason I asked is these women uh, were playing a venue that we wouldn't see. Like it's not a, a, on tour. That the the Country Club of Charleston is an old uh, Seth Rayner design. You know they have some of these golden age architects. I, I don't recall. Uh, it, somebody else had their hands in it as well. But it, it's a it's spectacular, and I loved watching the women play it because it puts in, in, in like context, how you and I might play it. You know what I mean? Like we, the the men's game is unrelatable. I can't watch that, that them play golf and think, Oh, this is the strategy that I might have. This is where I might find myself. This is the yardages that I might have. 
the opposite is true of the women. And Jung Lee six was playing with that Callaway equipment with that driver. And I'm like, yeah, look, this is me. You know, uh, I'm putting to use the artificial intelligence and machine learning to promote faster ball speeds off the tee. She was out there doing it and just you know, kicking ass and taking names. Oh, so all credit to look, her. Hey, I promise you this house. There will never be a bigger women's golf fan than I will be. Give it about two or three years. There is a girl <laughs> that plays there. Hey, there is a girl that plays at, at the course I belong to. Her name's Rachel Heck. She was the, she is one of the best amateur golfers in the world. I have never seen anything like it in my life ever. Like she is uh, going into, I believe her junior year of high school. She's already been committed to Stanford for like two years mm. and she hit the putt to win the junior women's Ryder cup for the United States last year. But I mean, she okay. is out practicing there all the time. And you want to talk about feeling terrible about yourself. Stand next to this high school girl who has, it's like, it's like tiger. She seriously, she's one of the best five amateur golfers, uh, in the women's division in the world. And she's I, from, she's from Memphis. Her name's Rachel Heck. She is fun, but I've never, honestly, for like a young athlete, I've never seen anything like it. Well, um, and Michelle, we just married a former Memphian, uh, who played college bat or uh, played high Johnny school West here. Jerry, Johnny West Jerry is West, was a Memphis. Yeah. Johnny, Johnny West. I know. How about this? He was the point guard on Marcus team. Oh my gosh. How about that school? small that's world true. thing? That's that. That's yeah. a crazy small world thing. How about that? I, 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 uh, we'll look forward to, uh, Rachel heck. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, shout out to Callaway. Signed by guy HV3. Hell, let's just make him my pick this week. Harold Walker. <laughs> is, is he in the field? Is he playing? Yes. Okay. Well, that that's it. That HV3 is your pick. I'm I'm going <laughs> to try and give out a little little value also. I'm, I have my eye on two guys that have been playing well. Uh, one that has a good track record at this uh, event and one that's just I, I just like uh, when he's he, he's competing well. I like Jason Duffner a little bit this week. Uh he has two top tens in his last four starts, tied seventh at Mirrorfield this past weekend, a good Sunday yesterday. Uh, and, and then I'm also looking at Brant Snedeker, who has a decent uh, uh, track record up at Canada, back-to-back top 20 finishes in the last two starts. He was tied for 16th at the PGA Championship. That's a little bit, that's my non-chalk. If you're looking to fill out a DFS roster, or you're looking for a little value, you want to play a top 20 maybe, Duffner and Snedeker, those are those are my epic flash uh, picks of, of the week. But I, I love this. The HB- one I read about that I was a, a bit persuaded by, who had played there well, well there in the past, there were two. There was uh, something I read about Furick and then something I read about Scott Piercy. Yeah, Piercy also is on, on the list. He, he, he won... The last time the Canadian Open was at this venue back in 2012, and he's had a pretty damn good uh, two month stretch here. So, Piercy, yep. uh, I, I like I like that pick as well. All right, well, look, we we you know we're not going to give out too much. Uh, the U.S. Open, where the next time you and I get together, we will have some U.S. Open picks ready to go. It's a week from today. We're going to let everybody enjoy this tune up uh, in Canada. Let's go HV3. How about that? 
<laughs> what's he, what's, what are his odds? Uh, 10,000 to one? Hold on. I'm going to pull it up here. Just give me one second. I have the book open. <laughs> he is. I, I texted you over the weekend. He is. He signed with Callaway. I, I, I'm very, very aware of, of uh, Callaway signings. I'm, all, I'm on the list. I mean. It's usually five. Hey, I can tell you, it's usually five bucks wins 500. <laughs> <laughs> I am scrolling down. I am scrolling down. I hey, am scrolling I say, down. Say, you got to win one of these at some point because I'm going to get up to 500 that I've put on. <laughs> hey, this time five wins 125. HV3 on the board at plus 125 to win the RBC oh. Canadian Open. Oh. That's, worth, that's worth five bucks. With this brand new Callaway equipment, that's worth five bucks. <laughs> I told you, hey, look, I, if I put five bucks on you every week to the end of time, five pays 500, like you got to win one of these. <laughs> He's got to win one of them. That's exactly it. All right, my par saving pals, there you go. I hope we whetted your appetite a little bit for next week's U.S. Open. You know how we do when it comes to major weeks. We are going to be on next Monday with a U.S. Open preview, storylines, scripting of outfits, uh, some early picks with Verno. On Wednesday, we shall be back with our good buddy, Justin Ray, and we're going to be making some picks. I'm uh, we'll probably have another special guest in there as well, talking about how you might allocate your capital, the correct way to think about who's going to have some success at Pebble Beach. And then we shall be back Sunday evening, assuming these guys finish on Sunday night, and there isn't a playoff Sunday night with an immediate reaction and recap to the U.S. Open. A brand new winner shall be awarded, adorned, and holding the giant USGA Cup. Until then, my friends, let's hit a couple down the middle. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.